you've been seeing the promotion of what we were talking about, raising the bar. Raising the bar. And uh, I'm going to give you some scriptures in just a moment, so you don't need to turn to a scripture right away, but I'm going to just kind of set this up of kind of how the Holy Spirit had me land on this. And what this is about, that I felt the Holy Spirit, it all started really where the, the God idea for it hit me back this past summer for Pastor Brendan and me. But it's about building resilience in your life. And if I could even say this, I think I'd be so bold as to what I'm seeing, what God has set up for us. I, you know, I, I don't sit in a room and plan these big designs of here's the five-year plan, the seven, and I'm not dissing that. That's really great to do. But most of the time for me, my success has come by not speaking, but listening. And I simply try to feel the nudges and the indicators of what God wants me to do. And that's how the Bible college happened. That's how Go Serve happened. That's how a lot of the things occur, is I just wait on the Lord, and then I just keep nudging the path. And that's kind of what happened with what I feel the word is for 2024. And sometimes I have one, sometimes I don't. But I want to tell you what I've really felt the word, not just corporately, but for you individually, is resilience. God's going to give you resilience. And the reason he gives resilience is because something you may be going through now or something that's coming your way, you're going to be resilient. Now, how many know resilience is not about avoiding life's challenges? It's not about going through pain and everybody just smiles and puts on this phony pinup Christian smile. Jesus is Lord, we're going to make it. Yeah, let's just come on. Just keep going. Fake it till you make it. God's going to help you. He's going to get you out. Just, it's, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about there is opposition and things and challenges that are going to face you. And resilience is about developing by the word, by the Holy Spirit, skills and disciplines that cause you to bounce back after you have faced some of the fiercest opposition, trials, temptations you've ever faced in your life. And this could be a year of it for the church, I don't know, or for you individually. But I have a word for you. You will be resilient, and as is the word, resilience is the word. Can everybody shout resilience? Resilience. And it almost means to even like take a piece of metal and to bend it, bend it, bend it, bend it, and you think it's never coming back. But resilience is its ability to go back to its original form, back to its original purpose. Beat up, smashed, crashed, dented, thrown against the wall, put through fire. But the ability to be resilient is the ability to go back to what God originally intended for you. I am telling you, I truly believe, even the soul care thing coming up, is God is going to create the most resilient group of people out of this body. You may not think you've got it, but you've got resilience. And there are disciplines and skills that are about not just something you say, but there's something that we intentionally, the Holy Spirit, started showing, showing me as a result of something that happened this past summer, Brendan me. Now, how many have New Year's resolutions? How many got them? Good. I think that's great. Some of you just giving up on them. Three hands. Just give up. Amen. Amen. I was going to lose weight, and by January 7, I lost seven days. Amen. 
This is not like making a New Year's resolution. We say, okay, okay, I'm going to get back in shape. I'm 56 years old. I'm getting back in shape. I'm going to get back in shape. I'm going to go down to Planet Fitness. I'm going to go down to Planet Fitness. And I'm going to go in there. And I remember when I was a high school, I could bench press 259. I'm going to get in there. And you go in there and try to bench press 259. And yeah, yeah, it's Planet Fitness. You plan on fitting this pizza in your mouth. And, that's, and, you, and, and you go in and you hurt yourself. You try to take on a weight and a burden of something, and you're not ready, and you end up hurting yourself. You end up damaging yourself. You are not ready for this. And resilient people are not people who, when the problem comes, we start, okay, okay, I'm going to, go to the, I'm going to go to a church. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go to 259. I'm going to start fasting. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start getting to church. I'm going to go to a small group. I'm going to start confessing. I'm going to say, no, 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 no. And you get crushed and devastated by what's happening to you because you have not prepared yourself. God is creating a resilient body and in resilient people at Grand Rapids First. How many bear witness with that? Okay, give me more than the three that had New Year's resolutions. Come on, come on, help a brother out here today. Amen. But I just believe that there's resilient. Now, I'm going to tell you there are obstacles to it. And let me tell you why we're having even believers that are not serving God anymore. Some of you should be back in church. But the pain and the opposition and the trial and the suffering was so strong, you couldn't lift the weight. The financial problem was so big, I never thought I was married and this should never happen to me, and I couldn't bounce back. Even a preacher or someone in church was the one that harmed you. I'm telling you, resilience is coming back to you. Resilience. I just, I just feel this in this room right now. But there are obstacles to it. Let me tell you some obstacles that we're seeing that are, that are, that are stopping Jesus followers, especially in America, from being resilient Jesus Christ followers. Here's the biggest, toughest thing. It's seeking to balance your work life, your family life, and then all these competing expectations that are placed and demands in your life that you can't figure out how do I build these disciplines and skills in my life to be resilient. It's just, it's just bombarding you. I mean, now it's just everything. I mean, you can't even hardly have kids in church anymore. I remember on Wednesdays, schools would not have any programs on Wednesday. Public schools would have no athletic programs on Wednesday nights so kids could be in church. They have done trash that a long time ago. And now they're pulling kids out on Sunday. They're pulling families out. And, there's, and, and there's, the, the disciplines are no longer there. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm just telling you realities. And then we don't know how we can't stand up. And everybody's so sensitive and people crush. They just get crushed. And then you have another obstacle is digital babbling. And I call it what is digital babbling. I, I'm, I'm not telling you that your TV's wrong, you're telling me, but I'm telling you there is a digital babbling that has isolated generations and is isolating families and it's undermining the connections in family where even marriages and homes can't be resilient anymore. And then stack on top of that the social media obsession. And now I get it. I, I, use, I, I use the internet, I use social media to help with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get all that. There are benefits. But I'm telling you, social media obsessions have heightened the tensions in this country and even among Christians in this church. You don't believe me? Wait till we get closer to November. More divisions, more controversy, and I'm going to tell you, social media obsessions have made an easy door for compromising even to the youngest children as eight years old and younger that can start flipping this device. 
The obsession is horrible. Parents, you got to watch your kids on this garbage. I'm serious. It is after the soul of your kid. They can get to porn just like that. For you, probably the first time you saw it was 13, 15. They're able to access it at seven and eight years old, just like that. And then on top of that, another obstacle is the there is a loneliness epidemic that has hit the church in America and the nation. It's an aloneness epidemic. Now because of all this stuff in social media, now you start isolating and you only get around the people who are like you. I do not want Grand Rapids First to be all of us to be like the people just like Pastor Sam. I mean, if this whole church was just like me, I know where we're all going to eat today. Amen? Amen. Come on. But now there's this aloneness epidemic that has distanced us from caring connections that can actually strengthen us. There, are, there, there, are, there is a disconnect and aloneness. Now friends are separating, peers are separating, neighbors are separating. We're separating from strangers that God wants us to maybe even engage. And then you put all this on top, there is a decline in respect for one another in this nation. A decline for respecting human life, whether they're saved or not saved. How am I doing? All right. So, something happened this past summer. Brendan and I spoke to a gathering of pastors. And there was this doctor there by, uh, by the name of Dr. David Ferguson. And he is the founder of Center for Relational Care. And he studies all these things about care, connection, all these things. And he started talking about over the years that he has done this type of ministry, Dr. Ferguson noticed, he said, I identified people who had this resilience after the most devastating suffering, loss, persecution, trial, physical maladies ever, that all of a sudden they were able to recover and bounce back and even be stronger than they were before. Didn't mean that they, oh, just positive and that they didn't affect their life. But he saw that there was this resilience and he identified five things. And when he said those five things, the Holy Spirit started talking to me. I said, I want you to tell your people about the five things. And we started making them practices. He said there were five things. And, and, I, and, and what I'm gonna, we talked about raising the bar. kind of has this athletic kind of feel to it, little vibe to it. So we're going to look at these five things. And he said these were five common things that were practices in people that I met that had resilience to bounce back, spiritually and emotionally. And we're going to call these our weekly workout because I'm going to go through these and we're going to break them down over the weeks. But we're going to do one thing each day of the week as a church to build resilience emotionally and spiritually in your life. And so here's, here's what it is. I'm just going to run down real quick, and then I'll, I'll break down one of these, uh, just one of them today. But he said, one of the things that they had was they had the ability to appreciate, to have gratitude. So on Monday, we're going to start declaring around here an appreciation, a practice appreciation. We're going to cultivate gratitude. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So Monday is appreciation. Everybody say Appreciation. We're going to cultivate gratitude. We'll come back to that and we'll deal with that one today. On Tuesday, we're going to practice compassion. He said, this is the, the thing. that they, When you saw people that resent, they were people that practiced compassion. They practiced kindness. 
And here's what happens when you start being a compassionate person. When you're going through pain and hell yourself, when you have the ability to be kind to others, what it does, it takes the focus off of you and gets you off of the bed of self-pity that I'm the only person suffering and it takes yourself off of self-pity and focus on you and even the uncertainties and the worries and the fears you're facing in life. It actually pulls it away from that. So on Tuesday, we're going to practice compassion. Everybody say compassion. On Wednesdays, we're going to deal with our identification. We're going to talk about your God image. This is a big deal. People that are resilient have to know whose they are. And when you start understanding the unconditional love of God for you, outside of your performance, your performance, listen, when you start doing things for God, it comes out of a whole different basis. But when you know unconditionally that you, that you are loved by God, you start discovering whose you are. And when you start discovering and pressing into whose you are, you really know who you are and the world can't jack with your identity. Ooh, boy. So everybody say identification. And then on Thursdays, we're going, to, we're going to deal with anticipation. You'll see stuff on social media. So everybody make sure you're on our social media. Get on our, get on our platforms for Instagram, all, all of our social media. Just get on all of it, okay? Just get on all. Anticipation. It's going to be where we start creating hope-filled thinking about the future. Hopeful, hopeful thinking about, about right now. Because what happens is when you start doing that, you get freedom from yesterday's challenges. And it becomes more accessible through embracing Every day and embracing hope for tomorrow because you're seeing hope-filled teaching from God and what he says and you are connecting with his presence. When you connect with his word and his presence, you can embrace the freedom that God has for you even in the midst of the crisis that you're in. And then here we go on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Everybody say anticipation. Okay, so keep those locked in. We're going to break them all down. And then on Fridays, the weekends are really going to be great. Everybody's working for the weekend. We're going to work for the weekend. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is going to be connection. We're going to start identifying, thinking about connections on our weekends. And that's about building relationships. God never intended for people to isolate. God intended you to build strength through life-giving relationships. This is going to be a huge one if you believe, if you're expecting yourself to be a resilient person when trouble comes your way. So how many of you believe we can ha hang on to this world resilience and let's start putting these five practices and I'll remind you, okay? So today, I'm just going to deal with one real quickly and it's going to be appreciation or what we talk about cultivating gratitude. So let's talk about how do I apply, how do I apply appreciation? Here's the first thing I want you to think about. I want you to start valuing the gifts that are around you. Value the gift. Look at Psalm 103. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord. All right? There it is. Gratitude, appreciation. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Not just done. Not what he did. Not what he's doing. What right now he is doing great things for me. You say, well, I just don't believe he's doing great things. Well, how about we cut off your oxygen real quick and let's see how great things he's doing right now. How about we just hold our hand over your mouth and nose and let's just see about one of the great things he's done. Come on, if you're sucking in air, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Come on, praise ye the Lord. 
So, okay, here's what we're going to do. Monday, what are we going to do? We're going to show what, everybody? We're going to practice appreciation. We're going to cultivate gratitude. So here's what we're going to do Monday. You're going to see something online. I want you to start thinking Monday is Appreciation Monday. I'm going to practice appreciation. Very simple thing. So let me start you out real easy. This will cost you no money. You don't have to give an offering. There's no guilt involved. Here's what I want you to do. I just don't want you to wake up grumbling tomorrow morning. I know, I know it's slower getting up out of the bed. I get it. I know it pops the first moment you get out, you hear something pop and you just pray, God, I hope I can put the other foot in front of the other. I understand, I get it. But I want you to get up being grateful. Everybody say, good morning, Lord. I want you to get up out of that bed every single Monday and start out. I don't care what pain, what pop, what ache you have. I want you to declare, good morning, Lord. Not, not good Lord, it's morning. No, good morning, Lord. Okay? Well, I just don't feel like praising God. I'm a cranky person. I know. We all understand it. So if you can't praise God, can you at least get somebody to do it for you? I'm not asking to get your spouse to praise God. Why don't you get your playlist, and when you have your alarm, let it wake up to the playlist. I don't care. Get this kind of song that you've got to get. If it's Maverick City, play some of that. If it's Bethel Music, turn on a praise song. If it's, if it's Bill Gaither, and that's what resonates, then turn on a Bill Gaither song that just makes you get up, praise the Lord. I don't care. Get, get the Chuck Wagon Gang. I don't care. Just get something that starts showing gratitude the moment and value the gift. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. I want you to start valuing gifts that God's given you. And, and you think I'm saying error, but you ought to praise God that you have breath today. Amen. How many are you going to get to eat this afternoon? Okay, most of the world will not be able to pull up through Taco Bell or even have a meal today. But I want you to start practicing gratitude. Now, let me show you why this is such a big deal. Because first of all, it's lost in this country. Disrespect is as a result of lack of gratitude. Doesn't mean I sign off on everybody, but you ought to be grateful you get to live in a country like this, that God gave it to us as a gift. Let me show you what research says. Amen. I was studying this this week about gratitude, and I found the study on gratitude where they studied individuals for six weeks, and here's what they discovered. When those individuals practice 15 minutes of gratitude a day, not griping, not grumbling, not how bad the lines are at Meyer. Just zip it for a minute. Thank God you can even get food in a grocery store. Go to some of these countries, you can't even get food anymore. If you practice for 15 minutes a day, for five days out of the week, for six weeks, they studied these people. For six weeks, only 15 minutes a day, here's what happens. They discovered that they immediately reduce their depression. People who were in depression, immediately their depression started to subside simply because they showed gratitude for 15 minutes, five days a week for six weeks. You know what else began to happen? They watched this and their anxiety. If you're anxious about this country, you're anxious about the finances, start showing gratitude. Their, their anxiety went down. Their depression went down. You ready for this? Their stress levels. You got a high stress job? Show more gratitude. Their stress levels went down. Get this. They stopped insomnia. Their, their night sleep started improving. 15 minutes, five days a week for six weeks, they started sleeping better. Get ready for this one. Even physically in their bodies, their blood pressures all improved just by showing gratitude for 15 minutes, five days a week, 
six weeks. Now, if we have so much depression, so much anxiety, so much stress in this country, I can tell you it's directly related, and that's just science, that we are not grateful enough for the gifts we have around us. Sila. So, here's the appreciation exercise that I want you to practice every Monday. So let's start somewhere. How about we start with our kids? How many have children that still sit around the dinner table with you? Live in your home, okay? I want you to do this. Some of you got, uh, Pastor Troy's got your kids in the nursery. They're all in there being ministered to today. I want you to practice this exercise. Brenda used to do this exercise with Nathan and Sarah when they were children and we went around the dinner table. She'd always ask them, she said, I want you to give me three good things that happened today. I want you to name them. And they'd stumble and fumble and it was like, you know, pulling teeth and, but we'd find three good things. So she wanted them to identify the three good things that they found in their life. Now, three good things may be tough for you to find, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to help your child, first of all, get around the dinner table, which y'all, I don't care if you have to call it in, I don't care if you have to drive through it, sit around the table with your family again. This is part of the reason why there's not resilience in families, okay? So sit with your family and get your child to identify one good thing. So here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to ignore the bad stuff, but I want you to start out Ask your kids around the dinner table, ask them to name one low point of their day and talk about it. I don't know what it would have been. I don't, I don't know. Some kid had, this, had the same sneakers on they had on and they were so embarrassed. I, they, they, they got a bad grade. Uh, uh, somebody dissed them. Someone, some, a social media post about it. But I want you to help them identify one low point and identify with them on that one low point, but don't end there. Then at the end of it, I want you to ask him, can you name me one high point that happened today and end on gratitude? Because I'm telling you, we are developing and we have created the most ungrateful culture that seems so stinking entitled that they deserve everything that everybody else has, that they're not grateful for the very clothes they have on their back and the air they're breathing in. And we got to get back to being naming at least one good thing in your life. All right. So that's for your kids. Now here's for you. I want you, write it down, express, you need to start expressing your appreciation and take the lead. And here's what I want you to do. Ready? Tomorrow morning, here's what you do to apply appreciation. How many of you pray? How many of you pray? Okay. How many you pray? Okay. Good. Whew. I thought, God, have I missed the wrong, I got the wrong series this year, God. I got the wrong series. I have missed you, God. Thank you. When you pray, whether it's you're driving or whether you got private time, whatever, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask the Lord tomorrow, every Monday, Lord, bring to my mind a friend, a family member, a coworker, a colleague, a neighbor, whoever it is, someone that's supervised, a teacher. I want you to ask tomorrow. Holy Spirit, would you bring them to my mind someone who has been a blessing to me in some way in my life, my work, or my home? One. I'm not asking for 15. One. Okay? Now here's the deal. I want you to seize the power of immediacy. Seize the power of immediacy. Say that with me. Seize the power of of immediacy. It's kind of just like that soul care week. Some of you are thinking about it. No, seize the power of immediacy. Seize it. Seize the power of immediacy. And here's what you want you. I want you to grab your mobile device. 
I don't want you to text them. Or if they like emails, email them. Or give them a quick call. And this is all you say. I was just reflecting on whatever that was that they did. I was just reflecting on that. And I just wanted to reach out and express my gratitude. Thank you. Go stop by somebody that's a coworker. Go stop by somebody in your school, young people, and just do that one thing. And try, if you can start practicing gratitude every single day, you practice it every single day and watch some things start changing your life. But how many believe it's time to start valuing the gifts of what God has around us, especially people? And they may not even be believers, but they blessed you. How are we doing, everybody? So let's apply this, let's apply this appreciation. Let me go just a step further in this. You don't just need to value the, the, the gift, you need to value the giver. So who's the one that's given you this gift? Who gave you that good friend? Who gave you that colleague? Who gave you that arrow? What about that clothes? What about that gas in your car? What about that rust bucket you get to drive in the car that even nobody else in the world, you know, you're probably, a fraction of the world has a vehicle. Who gave you that car? That's, yes, that rust bucket. Yes. Who gave you the health that you have? Who gave you the ability to walk in this room? Let me tell you, God is the giver of the gift. That's why James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. I will promise you that more people are more grateful for the gifts than they are the giver of the gifts. How many remember Luke 17 when Jesus Christ sees 10 lepers who have a death sentence, can't be with their families anymore, they're isolated from society, and he heals all 10 of them. You remember that story? And then all of a sudden, one guy, they're all run away, they got the gift of healing, they all run off, and one guy comes back. And do you remember Jesus' question? The guy came back to worship Jesus for healing him. He was worshiping the one who gave it. And Jesus makes the point. He says, wait a minute. Weren't there 10 of you? He says, where are the other nine? Jesus saw that lack of gratitude was an absence of honor of the one who gave it. We don't have honor if we can't show gratitude. That's why this disrespect is happening in the country like it's happening. How many still tracking with me here? How about we join that one and say, Jesus, I'm going to go back and I'm going to thank the giver of the gift. How many know we've got to start thanking God for the gift that he's the one that gave it all to us? We forget that. We're praising God more for the things he gave us. Yeah, I thank God for my health. I thank God for my kids. Thank God for my spouse, my wife. She's great. She cooks things I want. Thank God for a good job. Thank God for my Ford F-150. Yes, thank you, God. Four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive. Runs all the time. I thank God for that. But wait a minute. How about you thank the one who actually gave you that truck you're in? And sometimes we can be so thankful for all of our kids and everybody, we're all happy that you forgot to thank God who's the one that gave it all in the first place. I don't want to get like Jonah. You remember Jonah? He was supposed to go to Nineveh, prophesy against that heathen nation. He didn't want to go because he said, God, I just want you to torture them. They hated, they hated the Ninevites. They were cruel, ruthless people. That's what they were. And he goes and prophesies. God said, tell them judgment's coming on them. They better turn or something's going to happen in the next 40 days. And they all turn and start repenting. He runs to the side of the town. He's all mad and ticked off because they're repenting. They were, I'm telling you, these were ruthless, brutal, brutal people. 
And in Jonah chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the, to the city. He's waiting for God to torch it. But God's, give, God's given him mercy. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread as its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Here is a pouting prophet sitting in the blazing hot sun. It's in moderate Iraq, so it's about 120 degrees sitting out there in that sun. And he's waiting for the sun to go up there and blow up and smoke. Instead, God sends a shade tree to cover him. The guy didn't deserve a shade tree. He deserved a sunburn for his sorry attitude. These people are repenting. He deserved a sunburn. And God put the shade on him. And guess what he does? He thanks God. He doesn't thank God. He was grateful for the plant, but not the provider. I think we can say thank you to our bosses. We get a check. We say thank you to everybody else around us. But we need to go back to the one thing and say, wait a minute. The only reason I have it is God is the author. Every good and perfect gift came from him. That was a gift from him to me. Can I tell you something, friends? It's time to appreciate the provider more than the plant you have around you. Psalm 60 and 19 says, bless be the Lord who daily loads you with benefits. How many thank God? We're going to apply... Apply appreciation to the one that provided it. Amen? Here's the last thing to take home with you. There is an advantage to appreciation. I mean, it's even, it's even the, the research shows that if, you, if we just start intentionally practicing. This is why I make resilient people. Monday is going to be what, everybody? Practice. Practice it. Help your kids practice it. They're going to be more resilient. That's one of the advantages, but let me tell you the most important advantage of appreciation and giving it to the giver more than just the gifts. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises, in the praises of Israel, God's people. He says, God, actually, when we worship you, we are appreciating you, and you set up your rule, your authority, your dominion is enthroned. That word enthroned literally means to rest in, to sit upon, and to dwell within. He says, when I start worshiping God, my appreciation for God attracts God's attention. And when you get God's attention through gratitude and appreciation, he will renew you, he will restore you, and he will give you revelation in the sorriest things of life that you are going in right now. You might be in the depth of depression. You might be in the throes of, of chemotherapy. You might be in the throes of losing your home. You may have just, your spouse may have walked out on you, but if you will praise God in the mental, in the center of that, God will enthrone himself and give you an authority, a restoration, and a revelation of the new meaning of what's going on in your life. I want to take you to a passage that I, it just blows my mind every time I read it. It's the people of Israel, and they're in bondage, and they're in Babylonian captivity, a bunch of heathens, and they're all there because they disobey God. And so they're sitting at the river Kabar, and they're under this bondage, and they're bound for 70 years. Now, just, just think about this. Psalm 137, the psalmist records what they're saying in the lowest point of their life, despair, they are mad. Beside the river of Babylon, we sat 
and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful song. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? Listen, they're in a bad place. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my great joy. So they're saying, we're not saying a word of gratitude. In fact, go to, Psalm, go to the verse 8 and look what they really start saying. Here's the response toward their enemies. Ready for this? This is, this is Israel. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Bitter much? Bitter? Angry? Well, they, they deserve to be that, Pastor. They're at the lowest point. They've lost gratitude and in fact start saying, I wish my enemies would die. I wish that person would drop dead. Smash your kids against the rocks because we've lost Jerusalem. Same problem, same place, the exact same time. There's a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. He's going through the same garbage, but something different is happening. He's at the river Kabar, same enemy, same conditions, but something different is happening. And look what happens to Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Look what happens to Ezekiel. While I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened up, and I saw visions of God. Go to chapter 3, verse 12. Look, he's still talking about it. Then the Spirit lifted me up. And I heard a loud rumbling of sound behind me. May the glory of the Lord be praised in his place. Same problems, same conditions, same situations. He said, the spirit lifted me up, lifted, lifted, lifted me up and took me away. I went in bitterness and turmoil. So I was just like them. I went in bitterness and turmoil, but the Lord's hold was strong. Then I came to the colony of Judean exiles in Tel Aviv. Beside the Kabar River, I was overwhelmed and sat among them for seven days. Now I'm going to show you something real good. As long as God's given you health, as long as God's given you a happy family, as long as your marriage is happy, as long as you're getting paid and there's no recession, there's no depression, there's, everything's going good, we have a tendency to show appreciation for those things. But what happens when he removes those? We find out, did I really worship the gift or did I worship the giver? And I'm going to identify it. When you look earlier in Psalm 137, they never mentioned God once, but three times they mentioned national pride. <laughs> the nation. We've lost Jerusalem. Jerusalem is my joy. How can we sing the songs? The joy of our nation has been stripped away. Nationalism Nationalism was more important to them than submission to God. Are you listening to what I'm saying? That's a beautiful, nice new home you have. That's great that you're going to Planet Fitness every week. But if those things are removed, can you still praise him when the gift is no longer there? Will you really say that you love the giver more than the gift he gave you? And he started worshiping. So in the middle of his sorrow, he actually gets revelation 
and is restored, while other people were only simply grateful for the stuff God could give and perform for them. I'm telling you, God is looking for a church that will worship him when there is no gift to be had. I want you to look at Ezekiel 3, 12, and we're going to pray. He said, then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a loud rumbling sound behind me. May the glory of the Lord be praised in what, everybody? His what? That's his presence. He said, the Spirit lifted me and took me away. I went in bitterness and turmoil, but the Lord's hold on me was strong. Monday appreciation is not just about some exercise. It's something I want you to be, young man. This is going to be a challenging week for Pastor Brenda and me. Friday will will be the second anniversary of the time we looked at Sarah and we said goodbye to her as she left this temporal world and ran into the presence of Jesus Christ. This is a challenging week for Pastor Brennan and me. And I don't know many times you think about it. Some of you think, Pastor, how do you and Pastor Brenda do it during worship service when Sarah used to be up there and move all of us? Some of you are new. You, you didn't get a chance to meet Sarah. She was the life of the party. And go listen to some of her worship through Wind and Embers. And you wonder how in the world are you just trying to be a strong leader and just suck it up? What do you do? Because I'm going to tell you, there's our, I'm, I'm going to be honest about bitter places and turmoil questions. I'm going to be honest with you. But resilient people start looking for something else. I learned something from from Sarah. Pastor Brendan, I learned something from Sarah. One time, uh, a leader in the church came up to Sarah, and it was in the height of all the stuff she was going through. She'd go back, she'd sing, go back and vomit, curl up in the fetal position. She'd pace out her chemos just so she could lead worship here. I mean, she, she she was, I mean, she just loved the presence of God. I mean, I'm telling you, people with a lesser dedication would have just folded. But... Somebody asked her, I said, Sarah, when you sing, it's like something's coming out of you that never come out of you before. And I know you're good, but something was coming out of you. And, and she looked at him and she said this. She goes, I heard a worship leader say this one time. And I heard her say it to him. He said, this worship leader said, worship as if your life depended on it. And she said, when I heard that person say it, she goes, I didn't get it. What does that mean? Worship like your life depends on it. She goes, I didn't. She goes, until now, when I know what I have, could be fatal and my life could end. She says, now when I get up to worship, I worship because my life really does depend on it. And it brought me to a place and bring to a place where we worship as if our life depends on it. That we worship him as if our life depends on it. And let me tell you what begins to happen. 
Sarah was in the place of the deepest, darkest valley, and we were walking the deepest valley we have ever walked in our life in any history of a point of our life. Sometimes you hit that valley again. And I want to tell you something. Like Ezekiel, they were all in the same place. There are times in worship that Brenda and I are in this place. We're in this space, but we're not in this place. We're in this place, but we're really not in this place. And Ezekiel said, there's a time when you can get in a place where you're so bitter, you can say, smash their head against rock, kill their babies. I mean, how ruthless can you get to say, a baby that can defend itself, we want you to slam their kid against a rock. He comes out and he's going, wait a minute. But the Lord, the Spirit lifted me up and may the glory of God, may the glory of the Lord be in his place. So I'm going to tell you, I'm in this place, and I get in low places, and I get to those places, but I'm telling you, I get in that place, but I'm really not in that place. I'm in that space, and I feel it, but I'm really not in that place. There is a place where your life depends on it, that you rise above the depression, you rise above the chemotherapy, you rise against the financial adversity, you rise against the dysfunction in your marriage, you rise against the turmoil in the nation, you rise against financial deprivation, and you start praising God. You're in that place, but you're not in that place and the Lord lifts you up with a revelation and you see visions and you see a new hope and you see a new meaning and you have a new strength and you would have a new power and a new endurance and perseverance that only comes from being in his place some of you are going to walk back to your house to have a spouse make fun of you for being here and cuss you out and say where's my dinner You're in that place with that person that may hate God, but you are not in that place. You start worshiping God, and he'll take the bitterness you feel and the turmoil you feel, and he will take you to a place of compassion and appreciation, and you'll get your eyes off of you, and you'll start getting your eyes on him. How many believe, folks? Let's take ourselves to another place real quick. How, you, how about it? Come on, let's just, come on, stand with me. Let's just go to another place.